You're now tuned in to VC Cheat Sheet, the podcast that gives entrepreneurs straight to the point information and behind the scenes access on raising money. Brought to you by the Center for Urban Entrepreneurship and Economic Development at Rutgers University. You're listening to VC Cheat Sheet and I'm your host, Melissa S. Jackson. If this is your first time listening, then thank you for tuning in. And if not, thanks for coming back. The goal of the podcast is to help Black and Latino-led startups gain insight into the world of venture and private capital through mentorship and advice. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at The Q, that's T-H-E-C-U-E-E-D. All the links are provided in the show notes at bccheatsheet.com. Now let's get into the show. JumpWell is a leading career advancement platform for Black, Latino, and Native American students and professionals. I visited their headquarters in New York City to speak with CEO Porter Braswell. JumpWell to date has raised millions, and Porter has an interesting story about how, despite his pedigree, he realizes how powerful grit plays a role in getting what you want. Listen here. Okay, so I'm sitting here with Mr. Porter Braswell of Jockwell. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Let's start there. Okay, where to start? So, um, from New Jersey originally, born and raised. Um, the story of Jockwell, and it's J O P W E L L. People hear job with the B, but mm-hmm. it's Jop with the P. Um, so, the story of Jockwell really starts off with my dad. He's from the Bronx. And his way out really was to get into college. He got a swimming scholarship to Syracuse, which was and still is unusual for somebody in his position. But that was found his way to a swimming team and got into a great high school and then, um, you know, leveraged that to get into college. But then went to law school and became a, uh, um, a general counsel for a publicly traded utility company in New Jersey, which got the family to be based in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Then he eventually became a state judge. So I grew up in the type of household where to be successful, and I put air quotes around being successful now, but you have to be a doctor, you have to be a lawyer, or you can go into finance. And that was pretty much it. Those were my opportunities. And it was very much of my dad kind of setting the standard in that you got to take the family forward. I got it to where we are. Now it's your turn to kind of keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. So um, with that background, I ended up going to a school called Lawrenceville, which is a boarding school by Princeton. was incredibly fortunate to get into that high school. And Morgan Stanley was offering a diversity internship program at the time to high school students. Mm-hmm. Somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, you qualify for this and you should pay attention to this industry called finance. And somehow I got lucky. I got the internship, started working there my junior, senior summers in high school. Went on to college, played basketball at Yale, and instead of playing basketball in the summers, I continued in a really diversity-heavy early access pipeline. Spent three summers interning at Goldman Sachs, buying and selling currencies and doing a variety of different things. Started my career there, was there for three years buying and selling currencies. And so when somebody says, you know, tell me about yourself, really my story is one of being brought up in the type of household where I was limited to very specific industries that I could kind of focus on because that's what was ingrained in me from an early age and 
taking advantage of an opportunity that happened in high school and running with that opportunity to, which then led to my first full-time job. And then Jocko kind of gets birthed out of that, but that's me. I'm an athletic, competitive, hard-headed type person. So let's talk about the birth of Jopwell. Um, So you graduated from Yale? Yep. And from there, you went where? From there in 2011, I graduated from Yale. I went on to work at Goldman Sachs, Mm -hmm. um, where I was there for three years buying and selling currencies. Perfect. So what made you leave? I mean, because you had a pretty solid career, or the starting of a pretty solid career, Mm -hmm. because you're still relatively young. So what in you made you decide to just leave that behind? Yeah, so... I absolutely love my time working in finance. It was exactly what I wanted. It was exactly what I was looking for. I was incredibly blessed and privileged to have that opportunity right after college to get into that industry. And what triggered this whole process of starting my own thing, I think that there needs to be like a catalyst for all of this. And my catalyst was unfortunate in that my cousin passed away when I was about two years into the job. He was um, in his early 30s. And he passed away doing something. He was outdoors. He was he was hiking and he had an accident, um, but he was an outdoors type person. And so he passed away doing something that he was passionate about. And while I was incredibly excited to be doing what I was doing in finance, I didn't think my calling in life was to be in finance. Mm-hmm. And so when he passed, I had kind of like this morbid thing of, if I die today, would I be able to rest in peace? And the answer was no. And because of that, I needed to figure out something to do with my life that I felt that if life ended at a flash of a moment, would I be content with what I'm doing and where I am in life? And I needed to find that thing. And so that took me on the journey of a year while still working in finance to figure out what I was meant to do. Um, but that unfortunate incident of him passing was the catalyst that kind of triggered this entrepreneurial spirit within me. It's not something I was born with. It's something I kind of discovered through a year long journey of thinking through what do I want to do with my life? Okay. So for those people who are listening, who may not necessarily know what Jockwell is, give us the 30 second overview of what you and your company does. Yeah. Jockwell is a career advancement platform specifically for black, Latino, Hispanic, and native American students and professionals. And we assist that community specifically with the opportunity to connect with job opportunities and professional resources to ensure that companies, A, can no longer say we can't find this talent and B, to ensure that the community has the resources to climb corporate America once you get there. Um, And so we are a platform that leverages technology to ensure that this can happen at scale. And so while you were in the corporate side of things, I mean, what were you seeing happening for founders or not founders, but for people of color who were trying to raise the ladder or go up the ladder? So I think the biggest thing that prevents people from climbing the ladder, um, they don't see others that look like them. Mm -hmm. And when you can't see something ahead of you, you fall off or you look for another opportunity or, or it become, it can become a hostile environment when you feel like you don't belong or you don't fit in, or there's not a career path forward for you. Mm -hmm. And I think what's a really challenging thing, especially for our community is that a lot of our parents 
we're in executives at these large Fortune 500 companies. Mm-hmm. So you don't, really, you can't really turn to your family and say, "How do I handle this situation?" And you really can't turn to a friend and say, "How did you handle this situation?" Because within our community, the odds are that like it's hard to find those those people that have been able to do it. They're definitely there. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to get access to them. And your platform provides provides that, that access, awesome. and you can no longer say, "I can't find them," or what. Our community, our platform creates those connections. So. At this point in 2017, you're actively raising money for Jaqua? No. No? Okay. But in the past, you have been in this whole game of raising capital for your company. So I think you're always, as a founder, you're always raising money. Okay. Whether you're active or you're passive, you're always raising. Oh. And and we're in the phase in which we are always raising. Okay. Um, um, so talk to me about that experience as being the triple threat, as I like to say. You know, young, black uh, male professional, but still in, a, in an industry or a space that's very not black young male, right? So talk me through what that experience has been like for you. Yeah. Um, really, there was one or two people that I knew who were African-American mm-hmm. when I started to build Joppa. And there were plenty more out there, but that I knew who looked like me, were around my age, that went out and raised money from from VCs and then built a business. I really only knew of maybe one person that I was connected to. And I wasn't really even, I didn't really know them. I was just loosely connected to them. Mm-hmm. So my journey to raising money was one of figuring it out, kind of as I went along. Where we are today, where now Jopple is a larger business, we have more resources and more connections. Mm-hmm. I now understand the pathway forward to how you go out and raise money. But when I first started the business, um, the first $500,000 that we raised came from family, friends, angels, mentors who believed in my co-founder me. And nothing to do with the business and nothing to do with the product. Mm-hmm. It was the purely that they were investing in me mm-hmm. as an individual because they knew who I was and they knew my grit and my hunger and my passion. And they wanted to provide resources to me so I can figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so I was incredibly, again, blessed and privileged to have that opportunity that people wanted to invest in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that started the trajectory of us being able to raise capital, which then led to four and a half million dollars from VCs and from other individuals for our angel round of funding and combined with our seed round, which now gets us to where we are today, which will be a series A round of funding, um, which will be much more substantial. And so, right. but I now know the rules of the game. I now know who those individuals are that can help me. And so while I'm not actively looking to raise money, mm-hmm. I'm always in the conversations around what the business is doing. So if you know, like you're always kind of, in funding mode as a founder. So piggybacking off of that idea of knowing the rules, what are some things you would have liked to have known before your journey raising for your company? So I would have liked to have known that so much of it is having a truly compelling story. Mm. When you first raise money, now it's different when you are down the line, but when you first raise money, people want to hear your story and your product is not going to be world changing when you first start. Your product's not going to have the craziest metrics when you first start. So all you can sell is yourself. Right. And so if you are, you, you didn't start off just trying to sell the thing. You were really selling yourself. I was, I, I had a presentation and an MVP website 
And so all I could sell was myself at that point. Mm -hmm. And I knew my story down cold and I didn't have to lie about my passion. My passion came out. Like I'm solving a problem that I'm intimately familiar with that I'm passionate about. And that was a problem that was worth solving. So when I was speaking to people about what Jopwell is and what we're trying to achieve, I'm basically talking about my life and that like, I, this is a product that I needed that I, that I would have used that I, that I will encourage everybody to use. And for me, it, it was, um, I think that passion, that, that need, that desire came out in those conversations to the point where I was the expert in that conversation, not the investor. Mm -hmm. So anytime you can own that conversation and tell an investor, and most times the investors are white Caucasian, you know, males on the other mm -hmm. side of the table. So sitting on my side of the table, I was the one telling them about why this is important. And I was the expert in that. And so I owned those conversations. Mm -hmm. So when they challenged me on something, I came back and said, you know, this is what it is. I've lived through this. And that put me in a power seat. And anytime you're in a power seat, when you're raising funds, people want to know that you got it, that you that you know what you're talking about. And that, again, they want to invest in you at that stage. So um, I was able to know my story, have a compelling story. I was passionate about what I'm working on. And I think that helped that first round of funding. So. Tell me about a story where you weren't as successful as it sounds like you are, right? Because you say you've, you've raised a significant amount of money and not a lot of pe people are able to do that, whether they're black, white, Latino. So, you know, what did it look like early stages when you might have gotten rejected or turned down? Like, tell me your story surrounding that. Yeah. So I can't tell you how many times I've like lost, took an L. Have you had more L's than wins? Uh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. But the thing is, I don't. And again, like maybe I'm, I'm so hard headed and I'm so competitive that like, I don't recognize it when I lose. Okay. Like I, I have like selective memory. Like I, I, like I take L's every day, but like, I don't okay. care. And so I was taking L's left and right when the business first started, but like, I was so ignorance is bliss. And I was so like not recognizing those losses that like, mm -hmm. it didn't phase me. Yeah. And I think that's a great thing and a scary thing, but a great thing in that like, take it out, whatever. And you keep moving forward. Like Joppel succeeding was like not an option. Like th it had to have worked. And so for me, taking an L is just like, a, I don't know, like a bump in the, like I expect that to happen. Right. And, I, and I can, and, and the thing is I probably have a million stories that like I can't even recall because I don't know every day I'm taking L's, right. but like, whatever has being a black man ever kind of been in the forefront of your mind back of your mind like was it ever I mean, like did it absolute, ever stick out for you absolutely because like i walk into a room people look at me they don't know if i'm they don't know who i am and why i'm there and mm -hmm. and so and being the only person in the room has been something i've always been so mm -hmm. like i can't not realize that but i can't also focus on that and so, so it's always been like normal. It's like, I'm always like the other guy. I'm always, my, my entire life story has always been the guy in the room. Right. Um, or that other guy. And, and, and what I tell people is that, and people are like, you know, why do you start a business around like ethnicity? And like, it doesn't matter. Like, what does your ethnicity have to do with anything? Like that doesn't do. Okay. So break it down. So mm -hmm. I grew up in a white town. I was a black male. You take somebody that also grew up in my town, took them to the same high school, took them to Yale, put them in Goldman Sachs, my same exact journey. Right. When I am still in the world, 
people don't know our journey. They still perceive me as a black male, first and foremost, before anything else. So they treat me differently than how they treat my white counterpart, typically. And with that, I experience the world differently. So when I'm in a conversation, I may have had the same backgrounds as any one of my other peers, but I've experienced the world differently. So I'm bringing a different perspective to that conversation. So I think it's BS when people say ethnicities don't matter. It definitely matters. You experience the world differently. Therefore, you have a different experience that you bring to the conversation. And that creates innovation. And so I, again, take L's all the time. And I'm well aware that I'm the black guy in the room. And there there aren't many of me in the room. Right. But I don't let that slow me down. I, that's a skill. That's that's an advantage I have. Mm-hmm. I see things differently. How did you develop that skill set of explaining to you know, white men? I wouldn't say predominantly white men, but generally white men um, about a product or service that's very niche. They're very centered towards a community of color, women, so on and so forth. So how do you find yourself making those parallels for a community or a group of VCs who may not understand like why that's important? So. All I can tell them when I meet with them and I engage with them is look at the traction of the business. Look at how people are leveraging the services that we provide. Look at the money that we've been able to make by the companies that are having access to the platform. Look at the success that people are finding when they get jobs. This works. If people don't recognize metrics now that where we are in our stage of a business, if you don't recognize metrics and you want to fight against that, I don't have time for you. There are too many other backers. And so, have you said no to VCs? Absolutely, I said no to several VCs. What's actually. that look like? Um, <laughs> so, I am passionate, and I have a vision for what Jopple can become. We're going to be much bigger than Jobs at some point in our in our path as a company. Okay. And when VCs want to tie us down to only being one thing, mm-hmm. or tell us that your upside is only in this type of category. To me, that tells me you don't recognize the opportunity that's in front of us. And when that happens, I don't want you a part of the business because you're going to make my vision smaller. Mm -hmm. And so I've had plenty of conversations with VCs where they love the business, they love the traction, they love the story, they love everything we're doing, but they still don't understand the bigger thing that Joppa wants to get at, which is career advancement. And that is a massive opportunity. There's a lot of different things we can get into. But if a VC doesn't recognize that opportunity, I don't want to partner with them because I think that they will slow our business down or take us on a trajectory that I don't want to go down. Right. Because it's a relationship, your relationship with your your VCs and your backers. It's not just a, hey, thanks for the money and you walk away. It's actually a long term thing. So give me some tips or give us some tips about maintaining relationships because you are a master of maintaining relationships. I mean, you have to be right in order to maintain this company and to raise money. So what are some tips you would give for founders of color, um, just on maintaining relationships, keeping in touch, things like that. Yeah. So I love being in the middle of things. Mm-hmm. Um, when you take in investors money, a couple things to note. One, nobody's going to build your business. Like you can take in a huge check from an investor. They're not going to do anything for you other than provide that money. They might make some couple connections here and there, but like you have to build your business. So there's this like misnomer around that. Like if I take in somebody's money, that VC is going to help scale the business. That VC is not going to do anything for your business. They have other portfolio companies that they have to focus on as well. Again, you got to build your own business. So one of the things that I think I do really well with our relationships is that I don't call upon them for much. 
-hmm. When I do call upon them, they take me seriously because it doesn't happen often. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very selective. And when I reach out to our investors, I'm very selective about what I ask for help with. Mm -hmm. Um, And when that happens, they answer the call and they make that request. And Mm -hmm. so you got to be selective about that because they're dealing with a lot of other companies too. And know what you want. And know what you want and get to the point. You also have to be value add to them. And that because they have a lot of companies, you know, like a VC, and and this is something that I, that I'm recognizing. Um, and I recognize over time, a VC is a startup. They're trying to raise money too. They have these funds. They got to keep making, they have to keep building funds. A VC lasts as long as they have money to invest. And so they're constantly out raising money. So to some degree, which may not be, um, obvious, if you can bring value to your VC, they'll in turn bring more value to you. And so thinking about a VC as almost a customer to some sorts and figuring out ways that you can make their lives a little better, builds stronger relationships with them. Well, give me an example of that, that, that bi-directional relationship, because obviously I know getting money is, is a benefit, yeah. but how do I then become a benefit to you as a VC? So. Or how I, or how we become a benefit to you as a VC, as as the portfolio company. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I know several of our VCs. I've gotten to know the associates, the analysts, the people that go out and source deals. Mm-hmm. So I've took my friends who are building companies, and I make introductions directly to the people who are sourcing these deals. And and now I'm giving a VC deal deal flow of my friends, I'm helping out my friends who all have amazing ideas. I'm helping out that, you know, associate or, or analyst, um, that's looking for the deal flow. And again, I find myself in the middle of that. And so if I can make those connections, hopefully get that my friend or people that I know funded from a VC and the VC is excited about that investment. And I'm the one that made that introduction, happy days for everybody along that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, if a VC is wants access to like Y Combinator, which I was fortunate to go through, I'll make those introductions all day long. Finding ways to add value to anybody, mm-hmm. be it your clients, be it your investors, be it your employees, be it your family, finding ways to add value to me is like the number one way to build strong relationships. And so I always want to add value. Mm-hmm. And if I add value, it'll all come back, but I want to give it out. So, you know, let's just say I can't, get in touch with a VC. Have you had experience managing gatekeepers and finding value in the gatekeepers of people that the people's people, if you will, right? Yeah. Talk a little bit about that because I think sometimes people underestimate the value of creating connections that way too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you want to find the right gatekeepers. Um, when you feel that you have come across people who can directly connect you with the people you want to get in touch with, treat them as importantly as you would treat the person you're ultimately trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, referrals are so critical in this world. Uh, and if you know people who can make the right referral to the people you're trying to get in touch with, I can't, I can't say how, how much and how invaluable that is. It, 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 it's, it's truly invaluable. You gotta do that. Now, with that being said, if you can't find that person, there are plenty of ways to getting directly in front of the investors, yeah. whether it's reaching out directly on LinkedIn, you could get a premium account for like a hundred dollars a month or something like that, where you get 30 free messages, find that partner at the VC and directly message them on LinkedIn, pay that hundred dollars per month or whatever the case may be. Most emails are first name at the VC.com. 
mm-hmm. send off a cold email directly to that person. If that doesn't go through, typically it's info at that vc.com. Send that, send the pitch deck through that, through that vehicle. Just try your luck. Try your, your luck. <laughs> yeah. You gotta have, you gotta have, you gotta be creative. You have to have hustle. You have to have grit. Like you can get in front of anybody you want to get in front of tweet at them, Instagram at them, get in front of these people. Like there are ways to do it. And if you can't find a way to do it, it's cause you're not hungry enough and like, cool, your business probably won't succeed. But like, if, if you can be creative and you do have that grit, you'll find a way to do it. Okay. So just to wrap it up, just really quickly, if you could name maybe the top one or two gaps that you see or, or, or pitfalls that you see black and Latino founders falling in when it comes to managing these relationships or just through the entire process, um, what would that be? And what advice would you give to founders of color? So the first thing I would say is uh, you don't want to take VC money when you don't need VC money. So people need to understand that like venture capital money is not free money. When you take that money, you are making an agreement with that fund that you're going to have a massive exit. The goal for starting a business does not need to be a massive exit. The goal for starting a business could be a lifestyle business where you're owning something, you're creating value for a community, you're making a product that's, that's important. And it can sustain your life and others' lives. And it can be something you can pass down to the next generation. Mm-hmm. You don't need venture capital money for that. There are plenty other sources of capital that you can take in that enable you to build a business that doesn't have to be the next Facebook. Mm-hmm. I don't even think people... I think there's this like conception around like, oh, I have to be the next Facebook or be the... Okay, like how many people go to the NBA or how many people like go to the NFL or Major League Baseball? Or they try to compare themselves to the next face. Yeah, like, okay, one out of a billion. Like, awesome. I hope you turn out to be that. Mm -hmm. But you're likely not. And so aim for another type of outcome that you would deem to be successful. And you might realize that you don't need to go out and raise VC money for that. Now, if you do want to go that route and then cool, go out and raise the VC capital, but you don't need to do it at first. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of other sources of capital. You want that money down the road. Um, so that's one thing. Second thing is know how to, what type of money you're trying to take in, in that like, are you raising on a convertible note? Are you raising on a safe? Are you raising on it via equity round? Are you doing venture debt? people need to know the types of agreements and what they all mean and what it means for the business and the type of risk profile. You need to know like the types of funding options that are available and they all have drastically different, um, uh, I don't know, scenarios that are associated with it. And so getting educated on what those different vehicles are is incredibly important. Um, how'd you educate yourself? What were your resources? I lived through it, honestly. Okay. Like I now know, I now <laughs> trial know, and error. Trial and error. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. Uh. But Wikipedia, however simple and dumb that may sound, okay. Wikipedia is what I leveraged. The power of Google itself. It's like unbelievable. <laughs> and you know, when I was in conversations and people were talking about convertible notes with this discount, and I was acting like I knew what they were talking about, I would go home, type in convertible note, 
likely Investopedia or Wikipedia was the first thing that populated. I'd read the article, <laughs> get a little bit more familiar, and then go do deeper research. Nice. And it's you don't have to be embarrassed. This stuff is like people will try to make you feel like how how dare you don't know what a safe means or mm. or venture debt. <laughs> and like they'll think that like they'll make you feel a certain way. Don't feel a certain way. Like, who the hell why would you know what that stuff means? <laughs> and so when you're in that environment, nod, smile, write it down and go home and research it. And then you'll be more prepared next time. Right. And like, that's fine. And don't get like anxious because you don't know these terminologies of the different vehicles to get funded. I didn't. I yeah, still don't. Make it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, just don't get flustered in that. And also it's like, this is not a sprint. It's definitely a journey. Um, the end outcome can't be, I want to get rich. If that's your end outcome, mm. it's not worth it. Um, that's not, that's not a reason to build a business. I think the three things that people always need to keep in the back of the mind when basically it's been like my internal checklist of things that I need to check off to ensure that I'm doing the right thing with my life. And this would help me create the concept that became Joppel. Three things are, the first one is, am I making impact? Am I making a product or am I doing something that's going to make the life easier or better for other people? That has to happen. Two, am I passionate about what I'm doing? Is it something that like excites me? Is it something that like I have to do? And then the third thing, am I uniquely, uniquely qualified to do this thing? And if I can make a checklist and I can check off those three things, then do that concept, do that idea, build that product. And um, that to me, if you're following that, means you're successful. And so long as you feel successful, keep doing that thing. And it's not about money. It's not about notoriety. It's not about any of the other things other than following your internal compass. And those three things for me ensure that I'm always following that compass, which means I feel successful. And then what's better than that? Nice. So how can we find out or stay in touch or follow your journey, I should say? What can we follow you online? Yeah. Um, so I think the... Two best vehicles to follow me personally online would be Instagram and it's Porter Braswell at Porter Braswell and uh, LinkedIn would be the second vehicle that people should follow my journey. Um, that's just Porter Braswell and then Jopwell, uh, follow Jopwell. All of our social channels are at Jopwell, J-O-P-W-E-L-L um, and stay in touch. Perfect. Thank you so much for this Absolutely. for this talk quarter, and that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes so you can stay up to date on new episodes featuring more insiders. Have any questions? Leave us a comment on this episode at bccheatsheet.com or you can tweet us at the cued, that's T-H-E-C-U-E-E-D. Until next time, be great and it's a wrap.